So Mary and I, we were uh, driving, and we went past the church that had on the sign, we love hurting people. (laughs) That was just funny to us. If we were nice, we would have stopped and, like, said, we know what you mean, but it's not coming off that way, so... So we'll have to be careful with our church signs. Church signs are the best. Sort of. I'm often embarrassed that I'm a Christian when I see church signs. Um, But there are sometimes just, it's just so funny and so corny what is placed on church signs. So, hey, we are, we're in this series in Daniel, right? And uh, we've made it through the first four chapters. And today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5, and I'll tell you what, through this sermon series, my preparation, my study, I have just fallen in love with Daniel. He's just a guy I want to be like. I want to be a Daniel. And so what we're going to do as as we continue with this sermon series, I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you, Daniel 5. It is a bit long, and I tried to reduce a little bit of it for time's sake, but really to get the gist of the story, there's really no way that we can shorten it up too much. So I really encourage you to tune in. Um, I know there, there's always those things that are going on in your mind, the things you got to do, things that need to be done today, things that need to be you know, completed to start your work week tomorrow. But let, let's really engage with this because I think... Um, There will be things for us that will benefit us that we need to hear this morning. So uh, let me pray, and then I will read our scripture passage, and then we'll look at what this passage might mean for us here in 2018. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to every week open up your word together as a family, and we get to discover its rich truth uh, for living. Thank you for preserving it for us over thousands of years. Lord, we are so grateful uh, for your word. Speak to us as we sang in that last song. Speak to us. We want to be, um, we want to be good for you. We want to, we want to live lives that just glorify you. We want to live lives that, that impact people, um, And we need your word to transform us, to renew our minds, and to shape us into those kind of people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. 
so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. By the way, some commentators will say that the, the words actually tr- really translate that he lost control of his bowels. So how about that? That would be a little bit embarrassing in front of a thousand people. Then the king's caught in his chain. So now we're just to verse 7. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. The king Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar, not to be confused with Belshazzar, this is what kind of gets confusing. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Let's skip to verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom in majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. You remember that whole episode from last week? But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. Then the finger of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mena, mena, tekel, eparsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mena, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck. 
and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Boom. Did it. Done. Here's what we're going to focus on this morning, these three things. The Bible is trustworthy. Don't be a Belshazzar. Be a Daniel. The Bible is trustworthy. Don't be a Belshazzar. Be a Daniel. So first, the Bible is trustworthy. Up until this point in our sermon series, we've been dealing with this, this King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The very prideful King Nebuchadnezzar, the King of Babylon, and we have seen that God was able to humble Nebuchadnezzar so that he was able to know fully in his heart that all the good in his life, all his success was a result of God's grace to him. It wasn't something that he had produced, right? Now, Neb had to learn the hard way that God rules over the even the most powerful kings and kingdoms of the world. And he's the one who decides how long their kingdoms last. Neb also learned that God is the only ruler who will never cease to rule. And it's only his kingdom that will endure forever. So today, Daniel shifts and we're introduced to this other king named Belshazzar. And he's a very prideful king as well. Some might argue that he's even more prideful than what Nebuchadnezzar was. But before we look at how Belshazzar's pride manifested itself in his words and actions, there's something here that I think it's really neat that I think just speaks to the trustworthiness of the Bible, and I want to share it with you because I know there are people like myself that need to see and have evidence for the fact that the Bible speaks truth, and it is a trustworthy book. Some people, and maybe you're here today and you're one of these people, you don't need to see the evidence. You know, God has just given you the ability to just believe that it's truth. You believe your Sunday school teachers, you know, they said, your, your parents said that God's word is truth, it's trustworthy, you just believe it and you're good with it. But I'm not one of those people, and you may not be either. If you are one of those people that can just accept that the Bible is trustworthy and true, and you don't need to see the evidence, I would encourage you to listen to what I have to say, because chances are you're going to run into people like myself that need to see the evidence, right? And this is just one little piece of evidence, so it's not going to, in and of itself, convince anybody that the Bible is trustworthy and true. But I, I think it's really cool. So let me explain it to you. Um, for a long time, there were no ancient sources outside of the Bible that mentioned a Babylonian king named Belshazzar. For a long, long time, you know, th there were extra biblical sources that said after King Nebuchadnezzar, there were four Babylonian kings that reigned until the time of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who then conquered the, the, the Babylonians. Now, None of these four kings that came after Nebuchadnezzar were named Belshazzar. So this led 
a lot of people to think, well, the Bible, you can't trust it because here the Bible is saying that there was a king of Babylon named Belshazzar, but no extra biblical ancient sources say that there were until the 19th century. And what was discovered were these ancient tablets. And it, these ancient tablets shed a whole bunch of life, or a whole bunch of light, I should say, on what happened after Nebuchadnezzar's reign over Babylon. And here's what was discovered. There was a whole bunch of evidence that was found that the last king of Babylon, his name was Nabonidus. N-A-B-O-N-I-D-U-S, the Bonidus, that's how I'll say it. But the last king of Babylon, Nabonidus, had a son named Belshazzar. And guess what? It was found that Nabonidus, although he was the king of Babylon, he had gone to a city called Tima, and there he was working on securing and protecting some very important trade routes. And guess who he left to reign in the city of Babylon in his absence? His son, Belshazzar. And this explains why the Bible refers to him as king. And I just think that is so cool because for years people are thinking that the Bible is not accurate historically. It's not historically reliable. And here, archaeology finds these ancient tablets that reveal the, the truth that the Bible is trustworthy. And you know what? This sort of thing happens a lot where archaeology discoveries, you know, ar- discoveries in archaeology prove that what the Bible says is true, even though for a long time it looks like the Bible was inaccurate. Every year, Christianity Today, the magazine, uh, they, they highlight biblical archaeology's top ten discoveries of the year. Every year they do this. In its 2017 report, Christianity Today writer Gordon Gaviera states, Each year, on an almost daily basis, archaeological discoveries help us better understand the Bible and affirm its details about people, events, and cultures. Each year, on almost a daily basis, it's remarkable, the Bible is trustworthy. It is historically reliable. It talks about real people, real events, and Belshazzar's story is just one of many pieces of, uh, pieces of evidence that the Bible is accurate when it comes to history. Um, and I could give you many, many other examples uh, to, to, to highlight that. All right, so next. So the Bible is trustworthy. Next, don't be a Belshazzar. Now that we know that archaeology supports the Bible's claim that Belshazzar was really a real person... I want to tell you, you don't want to be like this guy. Because like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar was just full of pride. And his pride manifested itself in three ways. So if you look, if, you know, the passage tells us that Belshazzar's pride manifested itself in three, three ways. He was, he, it manifested itself in arrogance. It manifested itself in blasphemy and idolatry. And so I'm going to look at each one of these with you. Arrogance blasphemy, and idolatry. So let's start with arrogance. So Belshazzar was definitely arrogant. We can define arrogance this way. 
It's having an exaggerated sense of your own abilities, your own importance. That's what arrogance is, an exaggerated sense of your own abilities and importance. Like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his pride led him to have an exaggerated sense of his own abilities, of his own importance, to the point that he lived as if God didn't exist. He wanted to be in control of his life. He exalted himself above others and above God, and he took credit for God's work in his life. Remember those components of pride that we have discovered through this series? And Belshazzar had no excuse for living this way. He couldn't say to God, hey, I didn't know you existed. He couldn't say to God, I I didn't know you were the ultimate controller of everything everywhere. I didn't know that my own position in this kingdom and this kingdom itself is a result of your grace, God. He couldn't say he didn't know because why? Why couldn't he say he didn't know? Well, he knew Nebuchadnezzar's story, right? Daniel tells us so in verse 22. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men, and he decides how long their kingdoms endure for. And yet, Belshazzar, what did he decide to do? He decided to suppress this knowledge. Instead, he decided to ignore it. He chose not to humble himself before God, but instead attempted to exalt himself over God. He, he chose to be the master of his own life instead of surrendering to the real master. He didn't want God. He didn't want to be accountable to God. He didn't want to have to obey God. He didn't want to have to give up control to God. He didn't want God to tell him how to rule, how to spend his time, how to spend his money. He didn't want God to have to tell him how he was supposed to relate to people, in particular women, based on all the concubines he had. You see, the enemy had convinced Belshazzar that he was smart enough to know how to figure out life on his own. In the very God that, as Daniel tells us in verse 23, gives Belshazzar every breath he breathes and owns all his ways, he did not glorify. He didn't give him the honor that he was due. He wasn't worshiping God for who God revealed himself to be, right? And Belshazzar's pride just manifested itself in this arrogance. But it also manifested itself in blasphemy. Blasphemy, what blasphemy does is it takes arrogance to another level. So arrogance says, I can figure out my life apart from God. I can figure it out. I've got it. I don't need God. Blasphemy says, I am not only going to ignore God's claim on my life, but I am going to attack God. That's what blasphemy does. You see, blasphemy is the act of dishonoring God through speech or actions. And what Belshazzar does is he does both. He throws this huge party 
A thousand people. Can you imagine how big this party was? He invites a thousand people, a thousand of the most important, most powerful people in the kingdom of Babylon, which at this time was the world power. I mean, it was the world superpower of its day. He, he, they have this feast. You can imagine everybody's dressed, you know, in their finest. And then at this feast, Belshazzar, he gets front and center, and he starts drinking wine as everybody's watching him. And then he says, he says to his servants, hey, go get me those containers that King Nebuchadnezzar, when he went and conquered Jerusalem, uh, you know, I think it was 60-some years before, yeah, 65 years earlier, uh, go get those containers that Neb got 65 years earlier. Bring those into the party because we're going to drink out of these containers. Now, you need to know that these containers were in the temple at Jerusalem. And these containers were made solely for the purpose of the worship of God in the temple, where God's special presence, his personal presence dwelt among the Israelite people. It was a huge no-no to use anything in the temple other than for the worship of God. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar taking these containers, using them for this big old feast, drinking out of them, using them to display his own glory. And you know, by this act, Belshazzar was just spitting in God's face. He was saying, I have no respect for you, God, and your stuff. What was meant for the worship of you, I'm going to use for my own pleasure and for my own glory. But Belshazzar, he went even further than arrogance and blasphemy. He goes to a whole nother level with idolatry. Now check this out. Belshazzar didn't just misuse God's stuff and throw this lavish party that revolved around him and not God and showed his defiance towards God by using these containers from the temple. He took it a step further, and because idolatry is using God's stuff to worship idols. In verse 4, Daniel says that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. For you sports sports fans in the room, Belshazzar, he pulled a Baker Mayfield. Do you remember when Baker Mayfield on the block O at, at the shoe, he comes with Oklahoma's flag in the middle of the field and he's celebrating, right? He's using, you know, the, the stuff from Oklahoma, the, the false religion um, to worship the God of the sooner, the false God of the sooner, right? It was the... What, what Belshazzar was doing was the ultimate slap in the face. I'm not only going to misuse your stuff that's meant for the worship of you. I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it to worship false gods. What a jerk, right? How ridiculous. How disrespectful. But before we cast the stone at Belshazzar for his arrogance, his blasphemy, and his idolatry, we have to ask ourselves... Are we any different? Are we any different? Have we not committed the very same sins? I mean, God has made it obvious that he exists. 
And he's the creator of the universe that we owe our life to him. And yet, as Romans 1 tells us, and Belshazzar's story illustrates, we have suppressed this knowledge, haven't we? We've ignored the one who has given us our life and who sustains our life moment by moment by giving us every single breath that we breathe. Think about it. Every breath you breathe, he is giving stuff that he is sustaining you every second of the day. We take his stuff that he has lended to us because it's all his. He owns the world. He owns a thousand cattle on the hills, right? Like he owns everything. And we take the stuff he's lended to us and use it not for his glory and pleasure, but instead for our glory and pressure, pleasure. We take our bodies, our minds, our skills, our abilities, our possessions, our wealth, our relationships, our work, our marriage, our children, all God's gracious gifts to us that we are to steward for his glory and instead we leverage it for our own. And what's worse, we don't just use these created things for our glory, we start worshiping them. Do you see, we are Belshazzar. We worship our bodies as we make sacrifices to them. What do we sacrifice to our bodies? All kinds of time and energy and money on our appearance. We worship our possessions as we sacrifice all kinds of time and energy and money on maintaining our stuff and acquiring more and more of it. I mean, we have so much stuff that we have storage units. Like, really? Have you, have you not read Jesus' parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger storehouses to store his surplus grain? Things didn't go well for him. Hey, the only reason to big, uh, build a building like that is if you're storing food for the Tuslaw community group, right? <laughs> that you're giving away. We worship our children and we sacrifice to them by making all kind, you know, by, by giving all kinds of time and energy and money to them so that we can give them every possibility to excel at everything under the sun. And we run them all, you know, we're running around like a chicken with our head cut, cut off to get them to all their stuff. And we protect them from never failing. And our marriage you know, negatively is impacted because we're sacrificing so much for our children and our relationship with God suffers. We don't have time for God because we're sacrificing so much on the altar of the worship of our children. How disrespectful to God. How he spit in his face. How foolish. And we wonder why we are such a mess and we wonder why our lives are such a mess. Don't you see we're all Belshazzar? The writing on the wall is in, and we have been weighed, and we have been found wanting. We are the people that Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, thankfully, (laughs) oh, this is so good. God loves his enemies, right? I mean, that's the whole thrust of the Bible. God loves his enemies. He loves arrogant, blasphemous idolaters like you and me. And out of his great love for us, he has provided a way for us to be moved from being his enemy to being one of his children. And we know the Bible teaches that that path to reconciliation with God is repentance and faith. The very thing Belshazzar could not bring himself to do, by the way. We must admit that we are arrogant, that we are blasphemous, that we are idolaters. We must ask God for forgiveness of our sin. We must trust that because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, God has done everything to pay for our wicked ways. And we must turn away from our arrogance. We must turn away from our blasphemy and we must turn away from our idolatry, right? And turn to God. And we got to trust and have faith that he will change us into people who live for his glory who are fully devoted to having him be the Lord over our lives. That's how we go from being an enemy of God to being one of God's children. And so I ask you this morning, have you done this? Have you been reconciled to God through repentance and faith? Have you gone from his enemy to being his enemy to being one of his children? Or are you still ignoring God? Are you still worshiping the creation rather than the creator? Are you still actively opposing God by using all of his stuff that he has called you to steward for your own glory and your own pleasure? And I want to encourage you not to presume on God's grace. Don't presume that God's grace will always be available to take hold of. He could demand your life from you at any moment, today, like he did Belshazzar. And if you haven't repented and believed, then it's too late. In that case, the only thing you get from God is is wrath and judgment. Come. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. But the day of the Lord will come. He is coming to judge. And on that day, he will treat his children as his children And he will treat his enemies as his enemies. Now is the time for reconciliation. Today is the day of salvation, right? Don't delay. Don't be a Belshazzar. Thirdly and finally, be a Daniel. I'll tell you why I just keep falling in love with this guy. Look, if you become a a child of God through repentance and faith, If you've trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to reconcile you to God, if you're committed to learning from Jesus, how to be like Jesus in every single facet of your life, you're in the best possible position you could ever be in. 
But you need to know, and I think you know this, but I'll remind you of it, that old patterns of sinful behavior, old patterns of thinking and behaving die hard, don't they? And that is why us Christians in this room here this morning, we have to constantly assess, are we reverting back to our arrogant, blasphemous, idolatrous ways? Have you reverted back to arrogantly ignoring God? Are you regularly spending quality time with him? Do you have a good prayer plan that's working? Do you have a good Bible reading plan that's working for you? Are you staying disciplined with these things? Are you asking for God's wisdom when you're facing major decisions? Are you using his stuff that he's loaned you for his glory? Or are you really using it for your own glory? Maybe you're not talking bad about God the way that kind of Belshazzar was, but are you speaking up for him? In your conversations with other people, do you look for opportunities to share the hope that you have in him? When's the last time in a conversation with another individual that you shared something about Jesus? Are you inviting people into the life of our church where they can experience God for themselves? When you make sacrifices in life, to whom or to what are they going to? Are they going to any false idols? Look, Daniel wasn't perfect, right? But there was no doubt who Daniel worshipped. There was no doubt who Daniel was making sacrifices to. It was the God of the universe. Even to the world's most powerful people, Daniel spoke up for God, even when it meant that he was risking his own life. Here in our passage, Daniel is telling the most powerful man in the world about his error. And he shared the hope that he had in God. He organized his life around God. As Daniel 5.17 attests, he wasn't even willing to be bought for a price. Daniel told Belshazzar, you can keep your stuff. You can keep your stuff. I'm all about God and his glory. I don't need, I don't need your riches. I'm rich in Christ. I don't need your riches, right? Like God, he loved his enemies. When Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall and he became immensely troubled by what the writing meant, the queen came and said this to Belshazzar, and check out what this queen has to say about Daniel. It's remarkable. Can people say this about us? Daniel 5, 10 through 12. O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. I got to brag on somebody real quick. Hopefully, I'm not embarrassing this person. I was talking to Mr. Gingrich, Sam Gingrich, the other day. There was a guy that he was working with, a guy that was just a, just a problem, who was just frustrating, right? But eventually, this guy came to ask Sam, are you a Christian? Because of how Sam was living out his faith before him. That man saw the spirit of the holy God in Sam. 
And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Check out verse 12. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So look, look at what this passage reveals about Daniel and his secret. Daniel wasn't great because of his natural abilities and gifts. It wasn't because of his hard work. You know what made Daniel, you know what his secret was? He had this distinctive energy, this driving force inside of him that took all of his natural abilities to the next level and made him stand out from all the others. And even the pagan queen of Babylon recognized it. Phenomenal. She recognized that he had the spirit of the holy God inside of him. That he had light, understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. Daniel resembled Isaiah's description of Christ in that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the fear of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. Daniel, his secret was, he was so filled with God's spirit, he was so connected to God's world, his kingdom, his power, he drank so deeply from God's well that it couldn't help but bubble it over and overflow into the people around him. If you're a Christian here today, I encourage you to take time this week to plead and to cry out to God, Lord, fill me with a king-sized dose of your spirit. Lord, engulf me with your mighty power. Give me a king-sized dose of your spirit. Give me a king-sized dose of your wisdom. Give me a king-sized dose of your spirit of counsel and might, of knowledge and fear of the Lord. A king-sized ability to judge not by the sight of my own eyes, but to see everything through your eyes. Like Daniel, is your life a walking billboard for the kingdom of God. Do you know how people are going to know the character of God? It's through your character. Is your life the writing on the wall that's declaring to a lost and broken and hurting world that there is a true king of the world, and his name is Jesus, and his kingdom is an unshakable kingdom that will endure forever, and that we can have access to his kingdom in the here and now and to his kingdom power through a relationship to Christ that will radically transform us. Like Daniel, do your words and actions convey God's character and his love? You know, more than 100 years ago, there was this British revivalist who gave this challenge. It's a challenge that D.L. Moody, amen, <laughs> Emery. <laughs> She's like, I'm a hungry. Will you finish up, please? I am. I am. A British revivalist gave this challenge, and it is a challenge that D.L. Moody took up. The world has yet to see 
what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him like Daniel. Are you wholly and fully consecrated to him? If Jesus, check this out, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. You got to know that. We got to, I mean, we got to be people that are praying anything for Jesus. Are you following Jesus or really have you asked Jesus to follow you? The Bible is trustworthy. Don't be a Belshazzar. Be a Daniel. Emery, go get your food. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that your great love is so extravagant for us that we, we, we treated you so, so bad. We, we have just, we have played the idolater. We played the harlot. We have been that, we have blasphemed you. We, we have just so sinned against you, but yet you love us. You pursued us. You went to great lengths to rescue and save us. Lord, I pray that that gospel would be so powerful upon us, that your spirit would be so powerful upon us, that we would just want to live such lives of gratitude for you, that we would be so sold out for you because you were sold out for us, that we would be like D.L. Moody, that you would have true lordship over everything. Lord, make us into these people. Pour out a king-sized dose of your spirit on this congregation. May we be mighty for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.